Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Here's what happened on the most recent episode of the Let's Go Eat Show Double Shot. We have four different Diet Coke varietals, and we're going to taste test them to decide which is the best. Why so, am I sitting across the table from Gina? I don't get that. I don't know. I was looking forward to the thin cans, because mm-hmm. that's part of the appeal of this, is they come in the thin can. They didn't call it bloody orange. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't call it bleeding orange. Hemorrhaging orange. <laughs> I just burped and you didn't even know. It's possible well, to do it that way. a rose on your nose. It is possible. I want you, by the end of this, to, to just belch what? into the microphone. There. No, uh, that, no. What? She tried her hardest. She barely, nobody heard that. Oh, there we Yay. go. Yay. <laughs> to listen to this episode and help support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash let's go eat show. Thank you. Welcome, 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 welcome to the Let's Go Eat Show podcast. Hi, I'm Bill Allred. And guess what? We're going to give Chris Van Oker another go. Chris Van Oker famed Salt Lake City newsman, the News Vulcan, people call him. I interviewed him for this podcast some years ago, and it was terrible. I was, I'd was i like to blame all of that on Chris, but really it was my fault. I didn't know how to run the show at that time. When, we have, when you have recalcitrant guests, there is another way to talk to them. But I just insisted on trying to ask him questions that he didn't want to answer. Well, he's on the show this time. He's redeemed himself, and I think I've redeemed myself, with an interesting interview with Chris Van Oker uh, of the Van Oker Group, the, the titular member of the Van Oker Group. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. I had a great time talking to him, and I also had a great time at the Rose Establishment on uh, 4th West to 2nd South eating avocado toast. I know it sounds precious. I know it sounds twee. I know it sounds like we should be on Portlandia, but really... It was goddamn delicious. So, here it is. Oh, I should remind you, uh, go to wherever you find your podcasts and give us a good rating. Go to iTunes and, and, and re- vote on for us there. And uh, go to patreon.com for special material. Okay? I think I got all of that out of the way. And now, without further ado, let's go talk to Chris Van Oker, the News Vulcan. What kind of coffee was this? Just it's just drip coffee, just straight ahead. I don't know what uh, what roast it is though. You like it? I haven't tried it yet. Um, it looks it looks good. We'll have to ask them when they come over. But it was just from a big. Are you? Are we? Are, has the show yeah. started? Okay, uh-huh. the show started. It lo- I mean, this coffee looks like if we were on a comedians in cars getting coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Have you ever watched that? Uh, yeah, sat down love on that show. Mm-hmm. Um, Coincidentally, our guest on the Let's Go Eat show this this time is is Jerry Seinfeld. Hi, Jerry. <laughs> so what's the deal with <laughs> coffee? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, no, our, our guest is uh, Chris Van Oker, uh, the 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 indomitable. What does that mean? Not nothing. Able to be dominated. Can you hear? Are you okay? That's yeah. true. Yeah. A- you can hear okay. And I can be dominated. Yeah. 
You can you can hear okay? Because yeah, apparently you can't because you haven't answered my question. I've said three times, can you hear okay? Are we going to take that tone right <laughs> off the bat? Chris Van Oker, uh, and we're talking about the coffee. We'll ask, uh, I've already forgotten his name. Brian? Brian. We'll ask Brian when, when he comes over what kind of coffee it is exactly. What kind of bean? But it is, it's very dark, black, rich coffee. And Mr. Van Oker, the news Vulcan, uh, drinks uh, tea. Always just tea, black tea in the morning, green tea at night, you said. Yeah, I actually studied overseas when I was much younger in Scotland. And I got on the tea bandwagon and never got off. Yeah, they drink a lot of tea and a lot of other stuff in Scotland, but they're... And I did try the haggis, but that didn't stick. I tried haggis once, too, and I expected it to be awful. Well, I think there's awful in it. Well, that's a good joke, isn't it? Uh, but uh, I thought it was going to be terrible, and I, I rather liked it. I don't get it. What To explain to uh, Dylan what haggis is. I'm not sure I can, but it's got it's a meat product mm-hmm. with lots of kind of nasty bits in it. It's got grain in it, uh, uh, probably barley. It has and something to do with a stomach. Well, they put it in a sheep's intestine, the traditional way. I think it's a sheep's intestine. And uh, and you know, like a, so like so it's like a sausage. If you're vegan, you're not going to be eating it. No, no. Although I think they make a vegetarian one now. Probably. Uh, Mr. Van Oker, thanks for for doing this. We're at the it's called the Rose Establishment. Yep. On Fourth West, and and I can tell you are a habitué uh, of this establishment. You come here all the time because they everybody knows your name, and they say and you say the usual, and they say very good, Mr. Van Oker. Well, they don't exactly say Mr. Van Oker, but no, this is kind of my go-to place. I'm here once or twice a week. I have referred to myself on Instagram Mm -hmm. as the Rose Establishment's oldest hipster and his (laughs) avocado toast. No, I'm going to have avocado toast. uh, It is the hipster thing to do these days. And I've done it at home myself, actually, tried to, you know, do it. And I, it was okay. But I don't think I've ever ordered it at a, a restaurant, so I'm looking forward to the to the uh, avocado toast. Well, how would you describe this place, Chris? I'm a believer that a little bit like people, but that certain places have good karma for whatever reason. The ambiance, which is a word I don't really love. The staff here is great. How They're- about the mise en scène? <laughs> I don't know why I'm. I feel very highfalutin sitting here with you today. I don't know why. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, and the staff's great. They've become friends, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of a, a friend of mine who likes certain places. He refers to Hemingway's. What is it? A well-lighted place, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what it is for me. Mm-hmm. And I come here on the weekends with my either the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, and I just camp out. That, I, it's, I, I it's, love that. I love that. It's a very big city hipster coffee. Like, I'd go to this place would be in Brooklyn, I think. It seems like that. Yeah, the hipster scene in Brooklyn. Except the avocado toast would be. Well, everything would be three times as much yeah. in price, but. Uh, so, uh, and they have, I, the, I checked the menu. I should have brought one over, but uh, uh, they, they, oh, they have delicious looking cookies here. And I assume they make them here. I'm a little afraid to say that it's one of the best chocolate chip cookies in town because now there'll be a run on them and I'll be shut out. For those, peop- for those of you who are still trying to place this in your mind, 
uh, maybe you would remember this place as at one time Big City Soup. Uh, and uh, it was a very popular place. I came here a couple of times for lunch uh, to meet people for like a business lunch, and I almost couldn't sit down. And I don't know why it went away exactly, but it did. But this, I guess this place seems to do pretty well. On the weekends, the line will be pretty much steady to the door. And sometimes when it warms up in a few weeks, they'll have outside seating too. So you know when to come when to, so that you can get a table and camp out? I think I do, but it never works out in reality. Mm, yeah. Much like my life. But they, <laughs> they, it never works out much <laughs> like my life. Well, we should talk about that a little bit, but in a way that I want you to be comfortable. Uh, should we talk about the, uh, what is it, what animal is in the room? Is it a bear, a lion? I don't know that. The elephant in the room. Oh, the elephant, yes. Which is, hey, this is my second time appearing on your hugely right. popular mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. And how should we describe the first? You know, I don't remember it as, as, ba- as being as bad as you do. I, know, I remember we were at Eggs in the City, and uh, I, uh, we talked about your life, but you, you are a guarded person, and you don't want to, you know, sort of the, the purpose of this podcast is to talk about people's, you know, what, the, how, what, they, uh, what they do and how they feel about things, and you are, you are reticent to express some of that. What do you mean by that? See, I'm a people person. Yeah, right. I wear my emotions uh-huh. on my sleeve. No, you, you sure don't. <laughs> you sure don't. I just don't. wanted to see how it sounded saying that for the first and only time in my life. I'll be honest. So, I'll be. I'll be frank with you. So you're uh, you are not the worst guest we've ever had on the no. Let's Go Eat show. Oh, by no means, no. But <laughs> we won't say who. I don't remember. I, rem- I could name a few others. Okay. And this is Linda. Yeah. Hi, Linda. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Linda. That's Bill and his son, Dylan. Uh, L- Linda, do you know what kind of coffee? This This is the drip coffee, but do you know what kind it is? Can you find out from Brian? Thank you. So, uh, anyway, this is the way I would describe the episode that you were on before. God, how many years ago? Five years ago? Six years ago? Maybe, yeah. Six, uh, is that I spent the entire uh, uh, episode trying to drag stuff out of you that you just were, would not. Yes, ma'am. Yes. I don't Ethi- know what any Ethi- of those words Ethiopian are. and what? Uji yeah, Herchai. I don't know what that is, but huh, it's okay. good. Thank you. That's something they made up. How is it, by the way? It's really good. It is good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyway, I spent the entire episode trying to get you to open up and reveal certain things about yourself. And I, I mean, I'm, I, the purpose of this is not to, to embarrass anyone. I try to make people cry but, as much as possible. But, but you just uh, you, you, you keep things very close. It's kind of good cop, bad cop with you two. Mm-hmm. It? it can be sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. You figured it out. You've cracked the code. So let's, let's just start from here, all from my notes. But the title of this episode will be Chris Van Oker. Redux. Redemption. <laughs> A redemption. Oh, and you know, I do believe actually in the redemption of souls. You I'm do? Not the, I'm not the most religious person in the world. But uh, I do believe in that. Did you did you have religious training when you grew up, or your your dad is a famous news guy, Sandra Van Oker? Did any religion? It's funny. On the way here, I was listening to uh, Adam Sandler was doing a radio interview, mm-hmm. and they were talking about the concept of being Jewish. Mm-hmm. But the way they phrased it was Jew-ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so my background, even though we weren't really religious, was Judaism. Jew-ish. And, and as I get older, I've been attracted to 
Buddhism and some of the practices there. And I was explaining to um, my friend Louis Borgnick about this, and he's Jewish. I know Lou. Sure. Great guy. Tells awful old man Jewish jokes. Yep. And, he, and so I told him about, you know, being Jewish and being interested in Buddhism. And he said, oh, you're a boo-Jew, <laughs> which I thought was a brilliant term. Yep. That was also, wasn't that what the coffee was called? Yeah. Now, that's interesting because I rem, I've, I've looked into Buddhism myself, probably not as thoroughly as you have. I, I, it's like I don't have, I would be a Buddhist if I had the time. Although my friend, Bad Brad Wheeler, has been going to the Zen center down here. Former judge. Uh, I don't remember. I know. The f- Zimmerman. Supreme, Zimmerman. Zimmerman. Yeah. Judge Zimmerman. Right. Who is now like full-blown full Zen Buddhist uh, uh, sensei or whatever they call them. And they have a Zen center. And I think Zen Buddhism is sort of more accessible. Last fall, I was... I finally got to go to Japan, which was on my bucket list, and I did a weekend at a place called Mount Koya. And really the only place to stay there is they've got various Buddhist temple lodgings. Mm-hmm. And I spent a weekend there, uh, very pleasant, all vegetarian food, beautifully done, tasty, and, but fairly sparse. Mm-hmm. And I realized after that weekend, which was a great experience, that I'm no Buddhist. I went, I'm just, I, I think I'm too type A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could, yeah. So I can try the meditation, I can do some of that, but I learned a few things and it was so pretty. Yeah, yeah beautiful area, I think. See there, I, seen, op- I opened up. That was excellent. Good can job, I, Chris. Can I go now? Yep, you're <laughs> excused. You can have uh, a bite of your toast. By you the way. A, sorry, hmm? just before we leave the Buddhist thing, you went through a phase when you got back from Nepal. I still, I still intend to pursue that. Um, yeah. That's cool. Now, I have a little Buddha on my desk at work. I have a few Buddha uh, busts and statues at home. I, one thing I noticed changed was at uh, the end of your email signature after you came back from Nepal, when you hiked up Everest, changed to Namaste. Yeah, and I used to put Namaste. it's still there, I think. No, I, well, it might be. I don't know. I think it still is. So, so um, um, Chris Van Oker was here in Salt Lake area uh, as, as a news person for... 20 years decades yeah yeah and then and then and and you became very i mean you were well known in this town you could not go anywhere probably like rod decker could can or uh, uh now mary nichols and you know you you any place you go people say oh it's that it's that news guy chris van Oak. they might say that but maybe perhaps in not such a positive manner oh no that's bullshit. You know that. Potty, potty mouth. People like you. People <laughs> on the street like you. Now, yeah. the pe- those of us who are who know you and are your friends, we talk about you like that. Yeah. And so, about the first episode. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you uh, and I don't. It doesn't matter why you why you left here. To me, I don't. I'm not going to ask you about that. But you went to work uh, as a news guy in another market, doing much the same kind of work that you were doing here. I went to Columbus, Ohio, which is the capital uh, of Ohio. So the state house was there, and I covered the legislature and politics and uh, some special projects. But I spent a fair amount of time interviewing and covering both John Kasich. The the governor. Yeah, yeah, who I am really impressed with. And he 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 was also a senator, is that right? 
He was a congressman a before, congressman. and it wouldn't. He ran for president the last time around. It wouldn't surprise me if he went again in 2020, challenged Trump. Because I know he doesn't like him. No, he doesn't. And also, I covered Sherrod Brown, the Democratic senator from Ohio, who's married to a journalist. And I enjoyed covering him. And it wouldn't terribly surprise me if he did a long-shot candidacy for president in 2022. Um, what, do you, what is it that you liked about uh, Kasich? Because the, when I sort of watched him during the, the campaign... I, I, there are several several of his policies that I couldn't stand. That, you know, as I recall, he's very conservative in certain areas, uh, and, but he also seemed to have kind of a short temper or a a, a, a dismissive. I would sort describe of it this way. I think you're right. The way I would describe it is, I don't think he suffers fools gladly. Yeah. I remember the first time we sat down, very first interview, and we're doing the chit chat while the camera's getting set up. And I could tell he was kind of testing me, like, who is this new guy? Mm -hmm. Is he going to be able to keep up, yada, yada? And we got talking about Montana, where I'd worked for a summer. And he was familiar with the town of Babb, which is just outside Glacier National Park. Yeah. And I told him, I remember reading somewhere, that at one point there was a bar in Babb, a Babb bar, mm -hmm. which was voted the most dangerous bar in America. And part of that was because a cowboy, assuming he was drunk or she was drunk, rode the horse into the bar. And in a kind of quirky sort of way, I think that impressed him. It's like, okay, I can deal with this guy. And then when we, we really bonded was, I did a lot of work covering the heroin slash opioid crisis. Well, it was bad in Ohio. In a way, I mean, West Virginia's bad and so are, mm -hmm. well, it's bad all over. But Ohio and Columbus, they're kind of centrally located on the route, yeah. you know, maybe from Mexico. Because Columbus is within, what, 500 miles of most of the country or a lot of the population really? of the country. Oh, I didn't know that. And they had had an opioid problem in southern Ohio. So I interviewed him a lot of times for that. And we just kind of it kind of clicked. Wasn't he didn't didn't um, limousine liberals like me. Didn't they put, lay a, a fair portion of the blame for that on his policies, on Kasich's policies? Do I remember that correctly? On, I'm just asking. On opioids and heroin? Yeah. Not while I was there. No. When I was there, he was way out in front. Okay. I, just, I, mean, I, I misremember it. And under uh, the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, depending mm -hmm. on which way you address mm -hmm. it, he was one of the few Republicans to take as much help from the government as oh. he could and a lot of that was to provide treatment for uh, drug users so Ohio there it is and then that and that part of your life ended and you came back to Utah and um, I, I'm curious as to why Utah I I know you spent a lot of time here but you've lived you didn't grow up here? Where, you grew up in... Um, Born in Chicago and then grew up in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, I would think of you as an eastern sort of seaboard person. Seaboard? The eastern seaboard. Isn't that what they say? I just had this image of me in kind of an Old Spice commercial, like getting off <laughs> well, the ship with the bag. Well, you're not the Grotten's fisherman, but, <laughs> but you know, an, an eastern... 
liberal. It's like I think Mitt Romney wants to be a senator. Somebody said it on the Van Oker group, which we will get to. Uh, I think somebody said, maybe it was me. No, it was uh, your friend Dave Owen. Was it that said, I think the reason he wants to be a senator is so he can... He doesn't have to live in Utah. <laughs> he can go back because that's, that's what he's used to. He's used to the East, Boston, and yeah, it's, it's where he grew up. It's where he likes to be. Uh, and I, so why you, Utah? You're right. I was a diehard Easterner, but after my freshman year in college at Northwestern, I went back to Chicago, Chicago for schooling. I spent a summer working in Glacier National Park in Montana. That's how I knew about the Bad Bar. Mm-hmm. And I just became hooked on the West. And when I graduated from college, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do, but I knew I wanted to be out West. That has happened to a lot of people I know. They come out here and they go, holy shit. Very close friend of mine. I can breathe out here. Oh, my God. He was a thief. Some days. He was from... <laughs> yeah, um, well, metaphorically, not literally. He, a friend of mine was from upstate New York. And always was, he was sort of an outdoors person. He liked the, the rugged outdoors of upstate New York, which is, you know, people say New York here and that you think, well, New York City, but there's parts of New York that are wild. and You know, Bill, there are more cows in New York State than people. I didn't know that. That's something people say. And there are a lot true. of bears in New Jersey. But so he, uh, but he was a theater director. I met him at, in theater school in Pennsylvania. And he... Um, he came out here to direct a play at the Utah Shakespeare Festival and went, huh? <laughs> and his, his, he's, he got out of the theater after a couple of years and went back to school and became a park ranger. Uh, I'm not kidding you. Just a, a horribly low-paid park ranger, you know, with the, with the hat and everything, the, the, you know, the Smokey the Bear kind of hat. And uh, then he became an environmental specialist for the Bureau of Land Management, and he was kind of a, um, a, a an inside the, the establishment, uh, uh, you know, he, he worked on the inside to because he hated the BLM policies, but... It sounds like both an interesting guy and an interesting life. Yeah. Was this the guy, when I was a kid, um, you took me camping in that little campground you pass... When you drive yeah. down to Vegas mm-hmm. in, in Arizona, in that canyon. That's the best stretch of road. Yeah. It's a beautiful, but there's a little campground in that canyon. Called Cedar Pocket. And we thought it would be really cool to camp there. It was. It was, it was awful. Yeah. It was so awful. It was, there were, the Virgin River mm-hmm. goes right by it. But it's a parking but it was, lot. But it was, it had dried up. There <laughs> was no water in it. It's a BLM campground. There was no vegetation or no. shade, and we were in Arizona, and it's August, mm. and it was miserable. So we I, abandoned I didn't know it. how terrible it would be. Yeah, it was bad. We went up to St. George. We left. You know, when I go to California to visit my folks, I go that route through Vegas, and that's my favorite stretch of road because yep. it's so pretty. It's so pretty. But now I know not to stop. That little Don't. cedar pocket, you see, you've seen the sign. Don't go there. Don't stop <laughs> at the terrible. campground. Just drive it's through. Terrible. Yeah. And Just we went up through. to... Dylan remembers this because we went up to St. George, and... And as it turned out, the BLM was having a, some kind of a conference there, and my friend Chris Barnes is his name, was there at that conference, and we hung out with him a little yeah. bit, and then, and uh, it, he's a he is an interesting guy. But he's retired now, actually. He helps his he helps his wife save buffalo in uh, in uh, Lolo, Montana. Lolo, Montana. Yeah, Lolo. It's a little town close to. Um, uh, 
you know, the, the, the only hip town in Montana, the college town. Um, Bozeman? Boz, no, Bozeman? No, no, not Billings? Bozeman. No. Pullman? No. Or uh, uh, um, what's, the, what's the other side of Pullman, Washington, Montana? It's, I don't know. It's, no, there, I don't know. There's a college there. Uh, Do you want me to look up colleges in Montana? It's not Kalispell. It's certainly no. not Bab. No. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't, I'm, doesn't I'm still matter. looking up the New York statistic I quoted earlier. I'm suspicious of that, by the way. In, um, I have it. Do you want, do you want yeah. to know? Yeah. I have a list of every state and how many, how many cattle they have versus Missoula? how many people. Did we talk about Missoula? Missoula? It's Missoula. So it's outside of Missoula, and his wife has been into saving buffalo. And You know, I'm, I'm a big uh, Anthony Bourdain fan. Sure. And he did a show there, and I forget... The name of the writer he spent some time with who died shortly after the filming. But the other great writer that lives there is uh, Thomas McGuane. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He uh, writes uh, um, sort of Western exactly. novels. And, you know. and he's got a new book of short stories, which is either out or coming out. And there have been movies. He's had a lot of his books made into movies, yeah. I think. So, Chris Van Oker. Hang on. My, my New York cow statistic? Yeah. Complete bullshit. Just okay. fake yeah. news. No, it's complete cow shit. My bad. Because I was thinking, how many people are in New York City? There are not more cows than that. No. There's, the popu- there's like 2 million cows in New York State, which is a lot of cows. Like 20 million you, people. You see what we're doing here? How we're making this episode? <laughs> yeah, I see. And I'm fine with that. It's just, we're just bullshitting with Chris Van Oker. How's the uh, toast? Oh, my God. It's can I great. Can try a bite of your toast? Yeah. And now you can it's see as great. we get closer to noon... Oh, there's a line. We're at the Rose Establishment on 4th West, just about right second south and 4th West on the corner, uh, right across the street from the uh, uh, Sergeant Pepper mural, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so um, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. And, it's, and this is, uh, now this is what Chris has most of the time. You're not eating, are you? Well, I've dominated the conversation so far. No, you haven't. <laughs> you should be eating. Look, I've dominated Look at the conversation. You. Skin and, and bones. You should eat. <laughs> and I've, uh, you is know, that a uh, fat joke, Chris? Let me talk about... Were you? I'm fat so proud shaming? of you. You no. fat shaming, Bill? No, he's not. I didn't take it that way. Bad cop. Oh, it would have made me like you more. <laughs> Good cop. So, <laughs> so, so, you know, you talked a little bit about being uh, Jewish, but not particularly observant or anything, but, but you, I know you developed... Where did I read this, or did you tell me about this? You developed an interest in um, the uh, uh, Holocaust because you're a relative, uh, somebody in your family, was there in war, in World War II. Is that right? Yeah, mid thirties on my mother's side. Her parents. She was born in Vienna, Austria. So this is after Hitler had come to power in Germany and started encroaching on the other areas. It was, pretty, it was becoming pretty apparent what was happening. And they had a program, started in England, Great Britain, called, I think, the Kinder Transport. And what it was is they would accept, I think it was up to 10,000 Jewish refugees from Europe. They would let them go in to England and put them with foster parents. But the parents couldn't come with them. Well, that's horrible. So when my mother was about 15 or 16, she was one of the last groups in the kinder transport program to go from Europe to England. So she got out, but her parents didn't, my grandparents. And I started, 
my mother passed away before I could really ask her about this. But I got interested in it, and I started researching it, almost like I was a reporter, you know, mm -hmm. used to reporting skills. And I made significant headway working with a group in Europe. And then uh, I formed a partnership with the LDS Church. And they were able to get some more information, which I could take to the Red Cross. And between all of us, we finally figured out what happened, which unfortunately was they ended up at Auschwitz. Oh, Jesus. Or not Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you, you went, you, did you go over there? I did. After I made that discovery, I did a story on it. And I went over with my camera and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And went there, did the story. And I was literally numb for about three weeks afterwards. Is that a story uh, you've, you've, you, it aired here? Yeah, I think this is when I was still with Channel 4. Is it, uh, is it available on, uh, online, do you know? I don't know. They've changed ownership, so I'm not sure what's available and what's not. But I also wrote a story about my researching the journey when I went to uh, Germany in Berlin uh, for City Weekly. And that's got, that's available, sure. And that's oh, a, you know that's as a matter of fact that's where I that's where I got this information. Yeah. I read that. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to remember where I'd come up with this to ask you this question, and I read it in City Weekly. Yeah, I don't normally admit this, but I'm friends with John Saltis. Don't, don't admit it's it. Too late. Oh jeez. And uh, you're so going to make me edit something out of this podcast later. I've written <laughs> just one thing. <laughs> so I've written a couple articles for City Weekly now, and this amuses me no end. I'm actually doing some pieces for their outdoor magazine, Vamoose. And I think everyone at this table and in the listening audience will agree that I am the least outdoorsy person, certainly in Utah, maybe everywhere. That would be my impression, yes. I don't know, Chris. I don't like the outdoors very much. Yeah, Dylan doesn't really care for it either. Nope. You went camping, though. Mm -hmm. a bit. I made us leave and go to a hotel. That was the point. No. Uh, so uh, you, you're you're back here. Uh, you're right, doing a little writing. You when I called you up uh, to talk about the possibility of doing the Van Oker Group, which you used to do on TV once a week. Was it was it once a week? Yeah, every Sunday. Every Sunday. And for how how long was the Van Oker Group around? I think we did it for almost twenty years. And I got to be on it sometime. Uh, Toward the to the end of that twenty year period, but I, I guess I was on it for two or three years. You're one of the few people that I know who still has a Van Oker Group mug. Yes, I do. Um, and do you have one? Not anymore. Really? Well, maybe what when happened the, to maybe it? when the podcast takes off, we'll order a new batch. Maybe it was from the Helen, the mug lady. <laughs> Why do I? I couldn't think of Missoula, but I can remember Helen, the mug lady. I don't. Know. So. <clears throat> Uh, if you would like, you know, I, I, I love that mug, uh, but I would give it to you if you wanted it. That is a sweet gesture, but uh, I'm going to let you have it. So I, you're going to let me have it. I'm going to let you have it. So when I called you with the possibility of doing the Van Oker Group again with a podcast, you said you were semi-retired. When you say that, what do you mean? What I think is, and this is a recent realization I'm not very good at being retired did you try to do full retirement this is the second time I've tried it now I've got three semi part-time jobs the podcast writing for Vamoose mm -hmm. in my flannel mm -hmm. 
And I think like you, uh, I signed on with Urban Talent Management. The owner, one of the owners, Tina Bullen, is a dear friend. And she just got in touch with me and said, if you want some gigs, I think I can find you some stuff. And I do that every once in a while. You know what I would think would be a great gig for you? I was just thinking this today. Barista? You should try stand-up comedy. And I'm not kidding. I think you would be a brilliant stand-up comic. What's scary is every now and then I think about that. Can you, can you, you say funny things in a very dry, offhand way. Sometimes people don't even notice that you're doing it. I was lucky growing up because humor was one of the things that was appreciated in our house. And I remember many Saturdays, my dad and my brother and I, we'd go down to this funky theater movie house in Georgetown. Maybe called the Biograph. Mm-hmm. And we'd go see W.C. Fields movies, <laughs> Marx Brothers. And then at home we'd listen to, was it the 2,000-year-old man? Yeah, Carl, Carl Reiner, Reiner and Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. And so humor was always appreciated. And for better or worse, not everybody loves my dry sense of humor. <laughs> in fact, most not. Mm-hmm. But that was always important. You know why I th- uh, also think that? Is that... I'm funny looking? Kind of. <laughs> What I'm going to say is you also, this is not the way people would think of you, I think, normally, but if they really sit and talk to you and watch you, your face is very animated. It's funny. I Like you, I used to do a lot of charity gigs, MC. Mm-hmm. And the one I think I might have peaked at was a roast for Rocky Anderson when he was mayor. Mm-hmm. And it was at the Rose Wagner and it was great because they allowed drinks in the theater, so the audience was get them lubricated. Yeah. And I did some jokes, and it worked. And then I vividly remember this. I was talking with a group of friends, and a couple of women walked by, and they said, great job, great job. And this one woman looked at me and said, Chris Van Oker, funny. Who knew? Yeah. yeah. And I thought that was a great backhanded comment. That could be the title of your first stand-up album. Funny. Who funny, knew? Funny. Who yeah. knew? I'm Chris Van Oker. Funny. Who knew? It's, uh, uh, it, I, oh, by the way, emceeing gigs. I do a lot of those, as you said. And I, and I actually took one over that you used to do. And I've done it three, or, three years in a row now or four for the uh, Contemporary Muse, Museum of Contemporary. Oh, Yumoka? Yumoka. That's a good yeah. gig. Yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. And uh, they, I think I've done it three years now. And I, they, that's you know the way those go. You, they they kind of like what you do, and then they just ask you back year after year after year, and you do them, and it's it's fun. Um, so uh, stand up comedy. I re, re, to me, I mean, I think it would be great if you tried it. But to me, now I'm I in public all the time. I'm MC stuff. I'm on the radio, but stand up comedy I think would be the most terrifying thing of all. And I I've, I've never really tried it. And I don't think I ever would. I remember somewhere among the amazing things you can find on the internet, I found a panel discussion, and I only remember a couple of them. It was Seinfeld was there, and maybe Chris Rock, and a couple others. And they were talking about, oh, Gary Shandling, who I love. Oh, yeah. Um, They were talking about kind of the art of stand-up how you prepare, what it's like being up there, how you deal with hecklers, 
and just how it's constantly new material. They were saying if you're a musician at a concert, you can play the stuff you've been playing for years and they want to hear it, mm-hmm. but you can't tell the same joke twice. Yeah, it gets pretty stale fast. I heard, I read a piece somewhere, uh, might have been Esquire or something, and they uh, sort of profiled Jer- Jerry Seinfeld while he was preparing for stand-up, and he has yellow legal pads, and he writes everything out, and then he, and he'll cross words out, you know, no, 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 that's, that's not the right word to use, and he's very meticulous about all of that. I thought you were going to talk, because I think there's a picture, maybe of him or another comedian, I'm pretty sure it's him. It was kind of in New York, near where he started, and they had him surrounded because he keeps a lot of his old notes, and he was just surrounded by this sea of old jokes. Oh, I haven't seen that. It's, in, a, picture, the, it's a picture I could look up. I think up. so. Yeah. In that uh, documentary they did about the comedian, she's passed now, she died in the operating room, Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers. Um, they go, you go into her apartment in Manhattan, and she has a whole room that's just file cabinets. And it's note cards. And she's like, oh, this was, this was a joke I told. This one goes back to 49. And she had stored and cataloged every joke she told in her entire career mm. in this wall of, like, little file cabinets. Was that Seinfeld's The Comedian? No, I think this was a... Was it this about... Was a, just was just okay. about Joan Rivers. Just a documentary about her. It's on Netflix. It's she... Uh, it's pretty incredible. She was one of those comedians who just cataloged and... And wrote everything down. So I want to talk about the Van Oker group. And um, I'll tell you, I had a dream about it last night, as a matter of fact. Was I clothed? Yes, you were. <laughs> that was kind of the first thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if we'd ever... Uh, I guess we had officially met, but I, I started talking about you on the radio and said that I'd seen you naked, Chris Van Oker naked. And, and, uh, and I didn't clear that with you. With you, because I never do that sort of thing. Well, but I I have X ninety six spies, and if you or that mean Gina talks about me, they text me immediately. Yeah. So uh, is, and and I ha- I don't think I actually did see you naked ever, but we just went to the same gym, partially. And yeah, and, and the, so you change in the locker room, but I don't I didn't ever really. But it was funny fun to say. Yeah, I've seen Chris Van Oker naked. Uh, anyway, so the Van Oker group, very. Uh, your signature, your it's your signature, that and uh, the back room. That's the news from the back room when you're doing your political coverage. Did you use that in Ohio as well? No, that kind of got retired here. I remember early on when we started doing that, it kind of caught on. It was kind of explaining what happened at the Capitol, but not in the usual kind of political pundit sort of way. It was kind of explaining the, the some of the dirty stuff. Yeah, yeah. And one of the uh, maintenance people really liked it. So he actually sketched on the press room glass door, the back room. Oh, cool. Which didn't sit well with some of the legislators. I I would think. So so those two are your signature pieces. And so I I thought, Chris is back in town. I would call you up and say, how would you like to do the Van Oker Group as a podcast? And I was was really pleased that you seem to be pleased and kind of touched that I reached out to you to do that. This is all true. Um, As you and I have talked about, when I do some of that, I've been doing quite a bit of traveling lately, and I've kind of gotten 
into the habit, which I really enjoy, of just driving places. I've been out to California a couple times, just went up and down the coast. And last year, I went through the south because there were about four or five states I hadn't been to yet. And what I did is I retraced part of my dad's civil rights reporting, places he had been. And we can talk about that in a bit. Yeah. But on the way, I got hooked on podcasts. I really like the Axe Report, David Axelrod, mm-hmm. uh, Stay Tuned with Preet, and of course, Let's Go Eat and The Geek Show. Oh, of course, yeah. And how I built this. And so your timing, in addition to being a very nice gesture, was spot on because mm-hmm. I had just gotten into it. Sort podcasts. of gotten into the world of it. And we've only done one episode of the Van Oker Group so far. Uh, and it was, and I guess the, well, I don't guess, I know, I know that the objective at this point is to do one a month, which isn't a, a lot, um, And but we can talk about that later, maybe bumping it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Dylan and I talked about that a little bit, yeah. And it was, uh, immodestly, it was pretty well received, except for one snarky comment by Bill Frost. Uh, what did he say? I don't know. I'm going to have to paraphrase no. here. It was something He's always snarky about everything. That's what course. we love about yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, it was something like, I listened to the first podcast. I didn't learn a thing. <laughs> I wasn't moved in any direction. The magic is back. <laughs> Keep it up, guys. <laughs> I disagree, Chris. Let's put that on the fucking poster. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we should find that and put it. Wasn't post moved. It. We'll quote it to Bill Cro- Didn't Bill learn Frost. anything. Bill Frost says of the of uh, the Van Oker, the magic is back. Yeah. Didn't uh, learn anything, wasn't moved, the magic's back. Bill Frost. I really loved doing it. I thought it was fun. Uh, Bruce Baird, of course, and Dave Owen, and uh, uh, Chris Van Oker and myself. I thought it was great. Now, many people who are listening to this right now have heard that episode, or have had the chance to because we released it as a special Let's Go Eat show episode one week. Right. So, um, but I had a dream last night that... Uh, you, we, I think we were, this I don't know really where we, uncomfortable right I don't know where we were. We were at a, at some sort of a broadcasting facility. Sauna. <laughs> and there was a sauna and wine. And I said, Hey, Chris. And you were rubbing oil into <laughs> Dave's. You, you want a hot tub? <laughs> Let's go hot tubbing. Uh, but, uh, you came to me and you said, you know, Bill, the Van Oker group podcast has gotten extremely, um, you know, well, we, you know how popular it is now. And I said, yeah, I know. It's great. And you said, I think we have to make a change, and the change would be you. I want to bring in someone else to be in the, in the group. And, I, you know, and uh, thanks for all the help and all of that. And, and then I think in the dream also it was that someone had offered you a boatload of money or something to do the podcast for them. And, um, and I, you know, and I thought, well, okay. You know, I mean, I felt bad about that, but I thought, well, that's the way it goes. That's, that's the way things happen sometimes. Number one, thank you for dreaming of me. Don't, <laughs> don't do it again. <clears throat> Two, uh, both load of money. No, we're in negotiations, but nothing's been signed. <laughs> and three, about replacing you. <laughs> I want to make clear mm-hmm. that was Dylan's idea, not mine. Okay. <laughs> I like that. In I like that. I'm still producing the very successful <laughs> podcast. Uh, well, you know, thanks you guys. It's been nice. Yeah. I'll just stick to my little radio show. I just, I mean, I do hope, and I think it has the potential, the Van Oker Group, to be 
to, to be very well received and, and do well. As you know, when we were kicking around ideas for names for the podcast, one of them was, uh, which I still think is funny and I use as my tag out, don't eat this pod. <laughs> Another one, which we talked about, was politics for dumb guys. Mm-hmm. And that actually happened to one of the old group members. I think it was Dave Spadafore got a delivery from UPS or FedEx. And the guy looked at him and said, oh, I know you. You're on that uh, Sunday TV show. I like that. It's politics for dumb guys like me, huh. which I thought was great. Yeah, that is. And, you know, when I was on the TV with you doing that, I got recognized all, all the time for that. People had, who had no idea I did a radio show, they say, oh, I've seen you on that TV show, haven't I? That, that Sunday morning show, the... Yeah, and I say, yeah, that's, and, I, and I, I thought that was great. What we found was we didn't have the biggest audience, but the people who watched were the politicos, the politicians, the staff, lobbyists, mm-hmm. some of the candidates. And so that's, in a way, kind of who we wanted to reach. Well, I, I'm just hoping and, and, uh, that it is so successful that maybe you will have to think of replacing me. <laughs> but, and and you, you can keep Dylan as a producer and pay him a lot of money if that ever happens. Okay. I That's, agree with all that. All right. I agree with everything said. I think it'll be fine. How was the cookie, by the way? It was delicious. Yeah. I want. Do, do we know if they make them here? Did, they do. do. Say, they do make them here. Yeah. Uh, here being the Rose Establishment, where we're uh, talking to Chris Van Oker. And um, so, uh, so I want to ask you about your and and please, uh, everybody, stay stay in uh, touch with us. Uh, another Van Oker group coming soon. What do we decide? The last tape a week from today. A week from today, but we release it. The last Thursday of the month, or something. It like drops. That? The last Thursday. That's of what. Yeah, month. that's what they have to say. It drops. I'm the producer. I should know when it drops. Yeah. Well, you'll look. Uh, so I'll so, figure it out. So, uh, and I and I do again. I just hope it's great, successful because I think you're great on it, and and it was really fun to do. Um, now I want to ask you just a couple of other things before we wrap up here. Um, oh, let's talk about your semi-retirement and and what you're doing about writing about your father. Uh, your father, for you know, I knew who he was immediately, and I used to watch him. I remember him. I was pretty young, but I remember his uh, heyday of his reporting, Sander Van Oker, um, and he did a lot of great work and 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 won awards. And he was a great newsman. So talk about him a little bit and and what you're what you're hoping to do with the book about him. Well, thank you for your kind words about him. As I tell people, and I've told you, I raised him well. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, really his heyday was in the 60s when he was on NBC News, and that was during the Huntley-Brinkley Report, which I just love. Chet Huntley and David Brinkley. I believe Chet was from Montana. Oh, really? Yeah. And I think that was really, I mean, he had a long career, 30, 40 years, but that was really when uh, his star shined the brightest. Yeah. And probably in part because of the stories he covered. There was his favorite story of all time, civil rights. And in 1967, this is, you can find it online, he did that documentary for NBC. It was about the splintering of the civil rights group. You had Dr. King and the more moderate members. And then you had the emergence of some of the more, what they called radical members, things like Black Power. Malcolm X. Yeah, and my dad interviewed Dr. King in 1967, about mm. four years after the I Have a Dream speech. Jeez. And they, they did the interview in Dr. King and his father's church 
in Atlanta, which I believe is now either a national, I think it's a national historic site, but I went there last summer and I actually found the spot where they did the interview. And it's interesting to me because there was something in the interview, and I'm a little surprised it hasn't gotten more attention. Maybe it's because it's so long ago. But Dr. King told my dad that just a few years later, in a way, his dream had become a bit of a nightmare. That perhaps he had been too idealistic, idealistic about some of the things he wanted to achieve. And I think this coincided with the slight splintering of the civil rights movement and the fact that Dr. King was trying to address some of the economic issues, which still exist today. And as you remember, when he went north to hold some of his protests and meetings, et cetera, it didn't necessarily go as well. And, and plus, as I recall, he, he talked about that, and he was starting to uh, really get into uh, stopping the Vietnam War and, and uh, anti-war. That's a really good point because the interview with my dad took place a couple weeks after I think he gave the speech in New York where he came out against the war mm-hmm. and Johnson, who had been supportive of civil rights, was obviously not happy about that. Yeah. That was my dad's favorite interview and his favorite issue to cover, but he went from there to covering the Vietnam War. Did he go over? He was there twice in 65. I remember him coming oh, back geez. and he bought us little trinkets from Vietnam, t-shirts and such. And I don't know if it was years ago, but there was a HBO special Letters from Home, something like that. And they had different actors and actresses reading the letters that people had written. And they interspliced that with old NBC news clips. And I saw it at Sundance and I didn't know it was happening or that he was in it. But all of a sudden there was my dad sitting on a boat small boat on the beach in Cameron Bay and he talked about the escalation of troops and the phrase he used was it's beginning to take on a look of permanence here and he was pretty far-sighted about that and one of the trips when he was leaving Vietnam he looked out the window and watched Vietnam disappear as he flew away and he started to cry because he knew what was going to happen My dad had been in military intelligence, and I think he studied some of this. Oh, you mean before he was in news? Yeah, uh, in Europe, in Germany. uh, Cold War. That's where he met your your mother. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he had a good sense about that, and he'd seen what had happened with the French in Vietnam, which wasn't good. Yeah. And one of his few regrets career-wise is, even though he had been pretty critical of the war, and he thinks that's part of the reason he ended up on Nixon's enemies list, is he wishes he had been tougher. I've heard, I've heard or read other people in similar positions about Vietnam say things like that. But McNamara, with the fog of war, Robert McNamara, my God. You know, that, he, he had a change of heart way too late, I think. But. You know, I think there's also a Vietnam documentary, which my dad did, because I remember him interviewing General Westmoreland mm. on the plane. William Westmoreland. And I think if you look, you can find that on the internet as well. Uh, he, it, it was, is a, how did his career, I mean, I would think of that, just what you've described there, just these few instances, it was what you would describe as an illustrious career. Did it end well for him? You know, it's funny, I really, I mean, obviously I was aware of, of a lot of the things he did. Um... But I really learned quite a bit more a few years ago when I retired, or tried to, 
And I went to California and I helped organize his study. And bless him, he never threw anything away. Good. I found car insurance notes from the early 60s. Well, it was very affordable. <laughs> but I also found a lot of his old scripts, including from Vietnam and the civil rights. And I was able to kind of piece together the arc of his career. He was planning on being a lawyer. After this? After, no, after oh. getting out of school. Oh, I see. But when he was studying in... England, London School of Economics, and his roommate was the New York Senator Daniel Moynihan. Daniel Patrick. And my dad saw something in a paper which he disagreed with, so he wrote a fairly lengthy opinion page rebuttal. And the way he phrased it is once he saw his name in print, he was forever lost to the world of law. Mm. He... he he, there's something satisfying about that to him. Yeah, and he went from there, and he worked for the New York Times for a few years, then NBC, then uh, PBS and ABC, worked for the Washington Post, too. And he, uh, really, the end of his TV career, he did some special reports and documentaries, but he also did, I can't remember if it was called Movies in Time, something like that for the History Channel. So they would watch a historical movie and then have guests to talk about it. And I was lucky, I was back in New York, and I got to go listen to him. They were playing All the President's Men. Oh, really? That was and one Ben of the... Bradley was in the studio. Oh, the uh, editor of The Post. Yeah, and that was just awesome. Yeah. And so your dad was the uh, the host and the interviewer? And, yeah. Yeah. And that so, and was that the, right at the end of his career? Did he, did he retire? And this, maybe this is where I get it from. He never really retired. He served on some boards. He served with some foundations, mm -hmm. continued to give speeches, did history mm -hmm. in time. And then when you did these retrospective pieces, like CNN did a long series on the 60s, which was pretty good. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Because my dad had been there for mm -hmm. civil rights, for Vietnam, for Kennedy, for mm -hmm. Nixon. They used him a fair amount. So he, he's never, he never really retired, but at a certain point, you just you stop. Yeah, I mean, you just stop. they live in a uh, very pretty area of California, and uh, he stays active, reads two or three papers a day, watches news, mm -hmm. sometimes critiques it. Yells at the TV. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure you ever lose it. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it, are you, the, the book you're writing about him... Um, How's that going? And, and I mean, I, I really, I'd read it in a second. That's one. <laughs> yeah. He'd listen to the audiobook. I'd listen, I'd listen to the audiobook. <laughs> yeah. After the podcast. Is, is, is it going well? Is it, uh, are you? So that's why I mentioned helping him organize his study, because while I was going through all that, uh, the reporting part of me kind of kicked in. I was like, as you mentioned, this is a pretty incredible life and yeah. career. Yeah. And I got the idea for that. And it's progressing slowly. It takes a while to find your voice. At first, I thought I'd yeah. do a traditional biography. I got a fair ways into it, but it wasn't working. And then I thought, well, let's focus on the heyday, the 60s, the mm -hmm. stories I mentioned and the people. And that got me closer. And then as I had other people read it and kind of make suggestions, it became apparent that I'd say about... 80 or 90% of the book about is about the book is about him. 
and then maybe a little bit about me and how my career paralleled his in certain places. Mm-hmm. Uh, becoming that start, a political reporter. That starts to kind of work, doesn't it? It does, and it helps me get yeah. the voice yeah. and figure out the vehicle mm-hmm. for getting there. Well, it's, I can't imagine trying to write a book, but I, I guess if you're semi-retired, it's, you can work on it a little bit. But do you know, do you, Are you rigid about do you? You say, okay, today, every day I'm going to work on the book for this amount of time. And well, you know what a carefree, spontaneous life I lead. Right. <laughs> which fooled no one yeah. here at the Rose Establishment. <laughs> uh, it depends. Sometimes I get up early and write, and then other times I kind of enjoy writing at night. I don't know whether you ever read, and please, I'm not comparing myself to him at all, but did you read Springsteen's autobiography? I haven't. I heard it's great, though. And he wrote it. He didn't... I mean, he had people, you know, punch it here and there, but editors, but he it's not ghostwritten. You know, this is one aspect of why I'm not the brightest guy around, but I was reading it, and I was like, well, of course he writes well. Listen to his music and the lyrics. But he just kind of wrote, on, wrote it when he got a chance, and it took him seven or eight years. So in the beginning, I was like, well, I'd like to finish this in a year or two, and now I'm just kind of letting it go its course. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to sort of wrap things up here and, and I'm going to ask you a personal question but not a personal question. I'm sorry, my headphones aren't yes. working. As we have, anybody who's met, met you and knows you a little bit uh, would say, Chris, you, well, you call yourself the News Vulcan. I believe Kerry came up with that. Oh, did he? I think so. Huh. I think you're right. And, and you use that. I think he came up with it when you were trekking in Nepal. Oh, when you were on the show, right. Yeah. And your comment immediately calling in was, Van Oker, again? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you, you are, so by saying you're the news Vulcan, you keep things close to the vest. You, you, do, you don't wear your heart on your sleeve in any way uh, that I have ever seen. Um, you, you, are, you lead a private life, and that I, I respect, and, and, I would, and I'm not asking you anything about that. All I want to know is, how did you become that way? Have you always been that way? I just, Do you know? I can't even remember why I did this, but I took one of those personality tests online, <laughs> the famous one with the, like, the four letters. Oh, yeah. Not the personality disorder right. test. That's a whole different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we and want to I, do And I want to say I came up INT. Jay, I'm not sure I got that right, but the description was somebody who approaches life from a very analytical slash logical perspective. Like a Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank uh, you very much. Mm-hmm. And that, and you've always, you've always, I mean, do you remember as a kid being, because I know, I've known very young people who are like that. They, they sit back and they watch and they listen and they... No, I remember pretty clearly coming out of the womb, observing the doctor, and offering a gentle critique about the procedure. And if I remember correctly, he tried to put me back in. I think maybe that's a good place to end. (laughs) Didn't this go so much better than the first one? Yes. I'd say you redeemed yourself. This this has been excellent. And and I think uh, I would say it's, it's my great approach of really not trying to get anything personal out of you, which I think I was doing the first one. And you just you just would dance around the questions and 
and because you don't want to do that. Well, like a Vulcan, I think I put up, what are these shields they use when they're being attacked by the Klingons? Shields? Yeah, shields. They yeah, just but I thought it. it had a more exotic name. No, it's just Walls? shields. Yeah. It's shields. Force field. How about the Cone of Silence? Like well, a that was Dead Smart, yeah. <laughs> like Neil Get Smart. <laughs> one of the funniest bits ever, I a thought. A window. <laughs> I actually got to see one of those taped. You went to a taping of Get Smart? Well, my dad, this would have been in the 60s, my dad worked for NBC, so he had access to things like that, and we saw Get Smart. I think I saw the Flip Wilson show, the oh. Andy Williams I show. Was, I was thinking about the Flip Wilson show uh, just the other day, just because he was one of the most popular comedians of the day, and nobody ever really references him or talks about him anymore. No, it's a very nice you, guy. Came do you even up. know who Flip Wilson is? No, and I don't. I don't think I forget a name like Flip Wilson. See, you see, you, see, you know what? Uh, what's his name does now? Medea. Uh, Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry. Flip Wilson did this char- this character Geraldine in drag, and he was very funny and uh, yeah, and much better than Tyler Perry. But anyway, he was a very nice guy. Uh, before you guys wrap this up, I want to thank you both for having me on ill-advisedly for a second time and thank you for your help with the podcast and I also want to thank uh, Rose Establishment the staff and my Facebook friend Erica who's the owner huh. yeah it's um, it, this has been a great place we've kind of tied up a table but they've been very accommodating because because it is a busy busy place here at lunch oh. and they're only open for l- breakfast and lunch not dinner I or? think they're open till about four or five in the afternoon yeah. and uh, as I said on you know you think it's busy now when it gets warm and it's the weekend, mm-hmm. get here early. And you'll see Chris Van Oker here hogging a table. Yep. Hogging a table. And we've been doing so well. <laughs> Chris, it's really a pleasure. Um, I, I think the, the Van Oker Group podcast will, will do very well, and I'm excited to do more of them. And thanks for being on this podcast. And you've got my word. It's going to take a huge offer to get me to leave. <laughs> okay. All right. Deal. That's, that sounds great. That's it for the Let's Go Eat show. Thanks, Dylan, for producing the show. And as again, I'll echo Chris's uh, uh, thank yous to the Rose Establishment. This is a great place. I will come back here. And uh, that's it. Remember, if you're pouring the drinks, always make mine a double. Broadway Media Podcast Network.